many of you know I uh, travel the world working in many different countries, training and equipping pastors and leaders. Just got back from Vietnam last Sunday morning and uh, had a, a tremendous time there working with uh, with uh, leadership, many of them going into ministry, new, uh, new leadership, and uh, it, it was just exciting to see what God was doing in that time there. Uh, a little exciting, you know, driving uh, in uh, the city of Ho Chi Minh, uh, uh, when uh, there, most people, they, they don't have cars, they have motorcycles. So when you come to a stop sign, you'll see about uh, five or six hundred motorcycles all waiting for the signal to change. You know, it, it was uh, really interesting. And uh, the guy that was picking me up each day, uh, the, we all this traffic is going this way like this. And, you know, instead of trying to get over in the other lane on the other side, he decides to drive against the traffic, you know. And so we're on the side of the road here and all these vehicles are coming at us, you know. And um, I had a few moments of prayer as we were riding down that road. So, But uh, anyway, uh, uh, we had a, a wonderful time there. Just before that, I, I was over in Iraq. And uh, I've been in and out of that country a number of times. And every time I go, it's just uh, incredible. Uh, all the uh, refugees that are there in Iraq now is, is amazing number, especially from Syria. And I had over 90 people in my seminar, and of the 90, at least 80 of them were from Syria. And they had literally lost their homes. They had fled and come to over into Iraq where it was safer. And uh, so you can just imagine what that would be like, having to leave your home and uh, come and live in a refugee camp, which they are not nice, let me tell you. And uh, I, I just marvel. But these people were just so open to the word. And as we uh, spent time training and equipping them, they just were so appreciative of, of what they were getting. And, and uh, many of them were going to be going into new homes in other countries. And so what they were doing is they were taking a tool with them that they could use as they would go in this new land that God was taking them into. And it's an interesting thing what's happening today with, you know, a lot of believers, you know, uh, in the Ukraine. You know, Ukraine was the largest Christian nation in Europe. And there's more Christians there than anywhere else. And guess what's happened to all their Christians? They've been dispersed all over the place. And God has had a pattern of doing that over the, through the church history where the church has had to flee because of persecution, and it's gone out into many places, and when it goes, the gospel goes with it. And, and that's the good news, in spite of the hardship and the difficulty of what people are going through today. Uh, it's, it's really something. Just before I was in Iraq, I was in the country of, uh, uh, in the island of Cyprus, where the Apostle Paul had landed, and actually we were at very, very near the location where he came in, uh, and with Barnabas on his first missionary journey. It was so interesting to, to go there and, and got a chance to visit a little a few of the sites and all that, and you could see places where Paul had gone. And uh, I, I, I just marvel at how this man traveled so far. He'd come by boat, and then he would walk. You know, the whole island of, of uh, Cyprus is just amazing. It's not an easy walk. It would take days to walk there. Uh, through from one end to the other, but anyway, these guys uh, they're they're 
really hungry for the word. I, I did a seminar, and mostly students were coming to this seminar from different colleges. And it turned out, out of the 20 students that I had in my class, 15 of them were from other countries. And so what they were learning, as I encouraged them, I said, take what you've learned and take it with you back to your home countries. Many of them were former Muslims. And some of them uh, uh, had, not con had converted but had not made it known because it's very dangerous when you're a Muslim. Go back to your family and let them know you've become a Christian. Chances are they'll kill you. So it's not a real easy thing for these guys. But uh, this one particular gal that was in my seminar, she was from Iran. And she said, uh, uh, when I was home just a few weeks before, she said I was participating in some of the, uh, uh, you know, they were part, they were, uh, walking the streets, protesting against the government, and uh, just a lot of that had been going on. And she said, "My my, after I got back here, my parents emailed me and they said, don't come home, hon, because they've got your picture. They're looking for you. And she said, if I go home, they'll kill me. And uh, so, uh, you know, just think about that. The young gal in her 20s, early 20s, and she has no place to go. She has a boyfriend that is from Saudi Arabia. They would like to get married, but uh, Iranian cannot go to Saudi Arabia. If they get married, she would not be allowed to go into that country. They have no place to go if they get married. Can you imagine that? So, uh, you know, our lives are not nearly as difficult as some of these other people in our world that are suffering persecution in a huge way. But uh, pray for those countries. Uh, the Middle East, God is doing something. There are more Muslims coming to Christ every single day. It's an amazing time in, in the history of the church. And uh, I see I see revival stemming up in different countries. It's, it's, it's beginning to flourish more and more in different places that I go. And again, it just tells us that Jesus is coming really soon. And so we have much work to do. And you guys, you may not get over there, but you can sure be praying and interceding. And so uh, right after this service, I'm driving down to Mexico. I'll be down in Ensenada area where I'll be doing a, another week-long seminar, particularly with, uh, with um, uh, men and women who are just going into the ministry now. So we're giving them tools that they'll be able to use in their ministry. So be praying for my seminar down there as I work with this group of uh, participants. But I love doing what I'm doing. You know, for, during COVID days, I stayed home for almost two years. Couldn't go anywhere. And so now the door has just been wide open with so many different places. And uh, so my wife is always going, where are you going now? <laughs> and uh, anyway, well, let's uh, get into our text this morning. I, I, I'm going to take you into uh, 2 Timothy. And it's an amazing book. Many of you know the background there, Paul going, writing this letter to, to Timothy. And it's going to be his last epistle that he writes before he is going to go home to be with Jesus. And uh, so this is a very, very special epistle. It's a very powerful epistle. We're going to just look at the introduction alone, and you'll just see there's just so much there just in the introduction. But that's what God's word is like is there is it's just filled with information and if you learn to study it inductively 
you break it into little pieces and you just see so much is there. And you're going to see that in the first uh, seven verses as I go through that. There's just a wealth of information there. But uh, uh, years ago, it was during the Vietnam War, and uh, uh, I certainly didn't want to go. How many of you were involved in the Vietnam War? Any of you veterans here? Some of you were there. Yes, yeah, so you know what it's like. It was not a real pleasant time. And I was in college, and I was uh, at the University of Arizona. I was playing college football uh, when, uh, when they were just drafting everybody, you know, left and right. And uh, so uh, I, I was able to get into Army Reserves. My football coach got me into it so I could get back and play the, the following year uh, for them so I wouldn't be lost. Uh, so I didn't have to go to Vietnam, but I remember the training that I was at, almost all the guys that I was training with were going to Vietnam. Well, uh, my best uh, friend got drafted. We had grown up together and done sports together. We're in church together. We did everything together, and, and he got drafted. And so he went over to Vietnam and was serving. And, and I'll never forget the day I walked in uh, uh, to, to my dorm room, uh, and I, I found out that my best friend, Steve, had been killed in Vietnam. And it was kind of a heartbreak to me and because uh, he, he was so special to me. And uh, a little over a week later, I got a letter in the mail. And guess who it was from? My best friend. And obviously, it was one of the last letters that he wrote before his death. And, and I'll never forget getting that letter and reading it over and over again because he was my best friend. And I just picture Timothy now picking up this letter that he had gotten from the Apostle Paul, and he's learned that Paul is no longer alive. And I, I can just see him reading this letter over and over again because it was so special to him. And, and so uh, we pick up and... In this uh, epistle, if you'll follow along with me, we'll read the first seven verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being uh, mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Join me in a word of prayer this morning. Fathers, we divide your word this morning. We know it's your holy word. And Lord, you uh, inspired Paul to write these words to Timothy, to encourage him. And Lord, may we find this letter encouraging to us this morning. In spite of all of our circumstances, all the things that we're going through, Lord, we thank you that you are Lord of all and that you will guide us and direct us and give us strength. And so, Lord, we just uh, commit this time now. Let your word come alive to each and every heart. And, Lord, it's my prayer this morning. Not one person sitting here wouldn't be moved by your word this morning and allow it to speak to their hearts 
And Lord, they would not only hear it, but they would understand it and then apply it to their lives. So we just commit this time to you this morning. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. And so uh, many of you know uh, Paul as he uh, identifies himself in verse 1 there. He says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we know that Paul is going to be talking to Timothy about the promise of life. And it's a, it's a promise that God has kept and will continue to keep forever. And we know that you and I have been given life. We've given, been given life abundantly. And because of that, we have the promise of life that we will live forever with him. And so this morning, we're going to look at that theme of the promise of life as we work through our text here. But notice Paul begins by identifying himself. And of course, that's the way they would write their epistles in those days. They would usually put their name at the beginning of the epistle. And he identifies himself. And he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And do you know, Paul could never get over the fact that God chose him of all people to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you know his background. You remember the story. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee, and, and he was given authority to go after the early church, and, and he was arresting them and throwing them in prison, and he had uh, different ones put to death. And, and, and we know that he was out to just destroy the church. And he was going to do everything he possibly could to get rid of these Christians. And he was on that road to Damascus when Jesus interrupted his life. And aren't you glad that Jesus does that, that he interrupts our lives? And, and he, Paul was on the ground, and, and he lost his eyesight. And, and Jesus spoke to him, and, and, and Jesus called Paul. He was known as Saul, of course, but... He, he changed his name to Paul because Saul was a persecutor of the church, but he was going to change dramatically. And we know that uh, uh, he, was, he had a letter from the high priest, and he was going to Damascus, and he could arrest anybody he wanted to. He had all this authority and power, and he's going down there. And we know that he was arrogant and prideful, and, and, and he's going to go into there. And, boy, he didn't get into Damascus the way he expected to go. And we're told that he was led by the hand because he couldn't see. And there in Damascus now, Christians began to minister to him. And Paul's life dramatically changed. And he became so powerful uh, with his background of what he understood of the scriptures. He began to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And now he's preaching the gospel uh, to, to the people that that he was on their side at one time, and now they see that he has changed sides, and so they begin plotting to kill Paul, and Paul literally had to escape over a wall in a basket from being killed, and Paul literally became a basket case for Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so there, uh, Paul met Jesus that day, and as you all know, Jesus is in the business of changing lives. Aren't you glad he's changed your life? And he's got a hold of you, and you were not what you once were. And so Paul could never get over that. But he says it's according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And we know that this promise of life is that you and I 
will live forever. Isn't that amazing? Think about it for a moment. You and I, these bodies, yeah, they're going to deteriorate and they will go. But when they go, we, our life is not over. It's just the beginning because we will be in the presence of the Lord. And we've been promised this promise of life. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad I know where I'm going. You know, a life isn't easy. You know, we lose our loved ones. My sister just passed away uh, uh, about six, uh, five, four or five weeks ago. And I was in Vietnam, and so there was nothing I could do. You know, I, I wanted so much to be at her funeral, but I couldn't even go. And, uh, you know, it was it's it just, it just difficult, you know, when we see our loved ones pass on. But we know that we have a hope that this isn't the end. I know that I'm going to get to see my sister soon and, and my son who went on to be with the Lord and so many others and all of us have family that have gone on to be with the Lord and, and, and it's not easy, but we know that we have this promise of life. And I'm so glad God's given us that promise. How many of you have made promises? Okay, most of you. Some of you have never made them, right? <laughs> Yeah, we've all made our promises. And let me ask you a question. Have you kept all of your promises? Not a one of us have. We've all been guilty of saying things and promising and then not fulfilling those promises. But I want to tell you the good news this morning is that when God makes promises, he always fulfills those promises. And you and I have this amazing promise of life. And we know where we're going when our life ends. Amen? And so uh, he says that God has given us this amazing promise. And then he goes on in verse 2, and he says, To Timothy, my a beloved son. We know that Paul's uh, uh, Timothy wasn't a biological son to, to, to Paul, but we know that, that Paul saw something in Timothy and we know that Paul was responsible for his salvation along with his mother and his grandmother. And, and, and we know that, that uh, Paul just saw something really special in Timothy, and he spent time with him. And, and because he saw that specialness, he began to take him with him, and they traveled together, and they went so many places, and Paul just poured his life into Timothy. And then at a certain point, he left him in Ephesus to pastor this church, and it was not an easy church that, that, that he's in now, and this is one of the reasons why he's writing him to encourage him, because it's difficult being a pastor, uh, especially in his situation. And so, so it was, uh, you know, Timothy was mentored by Paul. And you know we all need mentors? We all need people to pour their lives into us. And, and then in turn, we need to look for other people to pour our lives into them. And we need to be mentoring others. You see, folks, we're not here just to get saved and do our own thing. But we're here to serve the King of Kings. And you and I can mentor other people and help them to grow in their faith. And, and so we all need that. I'll never forget a man when I was in uh, uh, my uh, third year of college. He, he, he was a worker from uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And they were doing all these inductive Bible study trainings and and I got involved in it, and this man named Paul, uh, he saw something in me, and he began to pour his life into me, and he had no idea that he was training somebody in inductive Bible study that would take it all over the world. 
And you never know what God will do through your life. And as you reach out to other people and, and give of yourself to them, we need to mentor other people. Amen. And we need to receive the mentorship from others also. And so Paul goes on and he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we know he uses these terms very frequently, a part of his introduction. He uses the words grace, mercy, uh, peace. And, and it's always in pretty much in that order. God's grace, first of all, comes to all of us because we don't deserve his grace, do we? But God is rich, and he's given us his grace, and he's rich in mercy, and he's given his mercy, and he's given us, because he's given us his grace and his mercy, we can experience that peace that comes from God that surpasses all understanding, that takes us through the worst of trials, and we have that peace of God in our hearts because we know who's on the throne. We know that he's in control of our lives, and our lives will never be just an accident. And so Paul goes on in verse 3, and he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember uh, you in my prayers night and day. And so Paul, uh, first he talks about a pure conscience as his forefathers had. And you understand how important it is to serve the Lord with a pure conscience. Paul knew that. He knew that if he didn't deal with the issues that come up in his life, and the Apostle Paul certainly had plenty of issues in his life, and so do you and I. And in the midst of the, 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 the struggles that we go through in this life, we have to keep our conscience clear, a pure conscience. And, and so we need to deal with our conscience. So when we do something wrong, we have to deal with it. We can't just stuff it. And, and so often we will do that. I'll, I'll never forget talking to a a, a, a pastor's wife in the Philippines many years ago and she told she, she shared with my wife and I how, how uh, she had held a grudge against this lady that was in the church that just said some awful things about her and she said I hated that woman so much I held a grudge against her she said for 20 years she said every time I saw her it just made me angry again and, and she said, God finally broke me and began to show me what it was doing to my life that was destroying the ministry that God had called me to. And you see, if we don't deal with our conscience, we're in trouble. And we can't minister effectively to other people around us. Uh, I, uh, I remember one time, just one time, my wife and I got in an argument. We've been married 51 years. We've only had one argument. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it, once a week or more, you know, there'll be some disputes that we'll have. But I just remember, you know, my wife, she knows how to get under my skin. And boy, she was really getting at, at me, you know, and I really got angry. I lost my cool. And I said some things that weren't very kind to her. And then I stormed off to my little office and I slammed the door and I sat down on my chair and I'm just furious. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, you know what was coming at me? That conscience inside saying, you blew it. And you need to go out and apologize to her. And I go, no way. <laughs> and I remember just being, you know, just so furious. And, and I had to calm down. And after a period of time, I calmed down. And I knew what I needed to do. And so I went out 
And uh, I, I said to my wife, "Hon, I'm really sorry for how I responded to you. I, I had no business doing that, and I'm so sorry that, 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 I, that I said what I said. And you know what she did? She just slapped me. <laughs> no, she didn't really. <laughs> but she reached out, and she grabbed a hold of me, and she hugged me. And I remember that minute that she hugged me like that, you know, my conscience, big sigh of relief because my conscience was clear. And I was so thankful that I could deal with my conscience. And we need to do that, folks, because it'll hinder us if we don't deal with our conscience. Sometimes, and I, I'm sure you've had this experience, I have several times where I've gone to somebody I offended and I said, I'm really sorry, please forgive me, and they wouldn't do it. And it was like a slap in the face. And at that point, uh, you see, I can't do anything. I can't change that person. They have to deal with their own hearts. All I can do is deal with mine. And as long as I've dealt with my heart and my condition, then I'm free to move on. That other person, that's, it's their problem now. And so you see, you and I must serve with a pure conscience. Amen? So important. Well, he goes on, and he says, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Think about that. Paul really cared about Timothy, so much so that he was praying for him constantly. It's so important to have people praying for you. You know, I just appreciate so much. I know some of you guys get my email when I go out on my trips and I know that you pray for me. And, and I'm so thankful for this church and the people who have been praying for, for every time I go out and I'm doing seminars and I ask people to pray. And I believe it's those prayers that make a huge difference. Just in this last trip to Vietnam, uh, I had a problem with my translator. He was not translating everything I was saying. He was adding to it because he thought he knew more than I did. And he started throwing stuff, and he started confusing everybody. And boy, I tell you, I had to pray like crazy. And I called my wife, and I said, man, you got to pray. This guy is not translating well. And, 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 and she was praying and interceding. And, and shortly after that, I had a talk with him, and I said, you've got to just talk, say what I'm saying and nothing more. And so he began to do that. And uh, it changed after that. But prayer is so important to be praying, and we all need people praying for us. You have people praying for you? I'm so thankful. You know, when I was growing up, I had a mom and dad that prayed for me every day, and I'm so thankful. My mom lived to be 94, and she prayed for me all my life, all, all her uh, her life, the last uh, couple of years where she lost, had dementia come in and so forth, but up until then, I, I was covered by her prayers. Every day she was praying for me. What a, what a privilege to have people praying for us like that. And Paul reminds Timothy that he's praying for him. How encouraging that would be for Timothy to know that Paul is lifting him up. And then he says in verse 4, Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. And so, so Paul longs to see Timothy. He's so special to him. But he reminds Timothy of his tears, he says. And, and we don't know exactly when he was, what he was talking about, when it was. It could have been 
the second time Paul was arrested, they were together again, and uh, he, Paul was ripped away from Timothy, and they were, he was taken off to Rome again. And it very well could have been that at that time that Timothy saw his tears. But, but uh, seeing somebody's tears, it, it says volumes to me. Because I don't believe you can really know somebody very well until you see their tears. And, and uh, so Paul was reminding Timothy of this. I, I'll never forget a trip I, I took into China. Some of you uh, have heard my other story, so I might be repeating a story here. But, but um, I was uh, doing a lot of work in the under, with the underground church there in China. And it's very dangerous getting in there. So, so um, uh, every time I would go in, uh, I had to go in very secretively. I couldn't email anybody and tell them I'm going out, you know, and so forth just because I, yeah, you can't risk. So anyway, I get over there, and I find a note for me that, that I'm supposed to go out the next morning and stand out by the, in front of this hotel that I'm spending the night in. And, and so I, I go out there, and I'm standing out there, and, and uh, sure enough, a car pulls up, and the guy weighs me in, and so I get into the car, and so we drive for over an hour, and, and uh, I have no clue where I'm going. And I never did when I was going over there. They'd never tell me where I was going. So in case I got interrogated, uh, I wouldn't be able to tell them where I was. So anyway, uh, they, they, uh, uh, the guy pulls over after about an hour, and he says, get out. Another car will pick you up in a little bit. Just wait here. So I'm waiting beside the road. And sure enough, another car comes along and, and stops. And the guy weighs me in. I get in, and we drove for another hour. And then uh, the guy pulls over, and he says, now, you see the guy standing down the road about a half a block down the road? He's got a brown bag. You see him? I go, yeah, I see him. He says, well, just follow him, but don't get too close. And so now I feel like I'm Agent 007. <laughs> I'm following this guy, and he's going in and out of these places. And finally, he goes up into an apartment complex. And so I followed him in, and I went up five flights of stairs. And on the fifth flight, a door opened up, and this guy's standing there smiling at me, waving me in. And I walked in to find 30 underground pastors waiting for me. And we spent three days and three nights where I taught them how to study the Bible inductively. And we prayed together. These guys got up at 4 every morning. They were on their knees praying, interceding. We'd have breakfast at 6, and then... We would start our seminar around 7, and we would go until about 8 or 9 o'clock at night for three days and three nights. And I'll never forget these, these pastors and, and Christian workers. The last session I had with them, I was wrapping it up, and they all began to cry. And, and I said to my translator, what's wrong? Yeah, well, why are they crying? And my translator said, I, I said, did I do something to offend them? And they go, oh, no, they're just so thankful that you'd be willing to risk yourself and come and teach and train us. And I'll never forget their tears that were flowing down from their eyes. A special time. And Paul was reminding Timothy of this special time when he saw their tears and he longs to be with them that he can be filled with joy. And then he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. And so Paul reminds Timothy of his heritage, and Timothy was blessed 
to have a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And uh, we don't know about his father, but uh, we know that at least he had those two, and they poured their life into Timothy. And, you know, we need, that, it, we need to have a heritage of, uh, of, of Christian parents and families. How many of you grew up, by the way, in a Christian family? few of you, yeah. Maybe half of you. And uh, the others, you, ha you haven't had that privilege. But, you know, if you haven't had that privilege, you have an opportunity to start something now. And maybe your kids are already old. Maybe you got grandchildren. And maybe they're, none of them are walking in the ways of the Lord. But you can be interceding and praying for your family. And God wants to use you to touch your family because we need we need our families to turn to Jesus. And uh, I grew up, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home with a mom and dad that loved Jesus. Uh, I had Christian grand, grandparents. They loved Jesus. And, uh, and so my grandparents shared their faith with my parents, and my parents shared their faith with me. And then I shared our, my faith, my wife and I, with our four kids. And my, our kids pass, has passed that on to their kids. We now have 10 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. And, and, you know, we, we, we don't want any of our grandkids and our great-grandchildren to go to hell. And we want to intercede for them. And we're doing everything we can to intercede for our family because sometimes they rebel. Sometimes they struggle. And, and we don't want them going the wrong direction. And you and I can have a tremendous impact in our families. And though maybe you haven't had that, that background, you're starting something now. And I pray that you will do that. Well, Paul goes on and he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So what's Paul talking about here? The gift that was given to you through the laying on of my hands. Well, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul recognized that Timothy had the gift of pastor teaching. Timothy was not an evangelist. But he had that gift of pastor teaching. And Paul saw that. And that's one of the reasons why he left uh, Timothy in Ephesus to use that gift. And, and Timothy's struggling, we know. And so, so Paul wants to encourage him to use the gift that God's given him. Don't, don't let what God's given you go astray. And every one of us, you understand, have been given spiritual gifts. There's not one of you sitting here that is not a believer, that is a believer, that has not received spiritual gifts from God. And you and I are to use those gifts. And one of the reasons God's done that is because that's the way the church is to operate. We all have spiritual gifts. And we have to use the gifts that God has given to you. And I say to you this morning, stir up the gift of God that's in you. Because he wants to use you. And he's given you gifts. All of us have different kinds of gifts. And you know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so Paul lists some of the gifts there. Romans chapter 12, he lists some more gifts there. Ephesians chapter 4. There, there are several places in scripture where the gifts are talked about. And we need to know what our spiritual gifts are because we need to use those gifts in the body of Christ. And, and so often uh, we have people coming to church week after week and we sit there 
and, and do nothing with our gifts. And what a tragedy that God has given you gifts and you're not using them. And God wants us to use the gifts so that we will be the church that he's called us to be. And, and so Paul encourages Timothy to use his gift that God has given to us. I think about, uh, I have a sister-in-law uh, who uh, is 72, I believe, and her husband is 74, and she has the gift of mercy. And so because of that gift, she has been taking, over the last 10 years, she has been taking babies that are drug babies into her home and keeping them sometimes up to two years before they're adopted. But, you know, a drug baby is not an easy baby to take care of. And she's been doing this for over 10 years. Why does she do that? Because God gave her that gift of mercy. And she just loves these little babies, and she just pours her hearts into them. And, and again, she's using the gifts that God has given to us. All of us got to use our gifts. Amen? And then Paul goes on, and he says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, why did he say that to Timothy? Because obviously Timothy had fears. He was a fearful young man. And, 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 and so Paul wants to encourage him, but he knows that spirit of fear is something the enemy uses all the time. In all of our lives, he wants us to be afraid. So that we won't do what God's calling us to do. Uh, I'll never forget a, one of my trips uh, was into the Sudan. Uh, by the way, uh, I, one, of my, one of my staff is in the Sudan right now. Uh, and we have a Bible school going in the Sudan. And it's been so neat to see. And he's, he's training. He's got 20, I believe about 25 young men, uh, all Sudanese. And they're, they're, they're pastors, and he's training them and equipping them. And we have a, a three-year program going there now in this Bible school. And we, over that course of time, we will bring those pastors through training sessions. And, and they're being equipped so that they can teach. So anyway, um, uh, the Sudan is not a new place. I went there the first time in 1997. And I'll never forget this first trip in there. I had uh, been uh, called, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa called me, and they asked me if I would be willing to take a team into the Sudan, do an inductive Bible study seminar. And at the same time, they were going to send in two doctors and some nurses, and there would be a few Calvary Chapel pastors who would travel with us in our team. There would be a total of 10 of us. And uh, so we would go into the Sudan, and I'm going to do a seminar, and the Doctors are going to do a clinic, and, and, and it sounded great to me. I knew absolutely nothing about the Sudan at that point, and so I, I started reading up about it and found out they're in a civil war. And they told me where they're going to fly me into, and I, I realized that I was going right into the middle of a civil war. And suddenly this trip didn't look so appealing to me. I love to go to new places and experience different things, but... Going into the middle of a civil war is not what I would want to volunteer for doing. So 
fear began to grip me a little bit. You know, I, I became a little bit fearful about this trip. And, and uh, so my wife and I prayed about it some more. And then we got a letter in the mail from the organization that was flying us in. And they asked my wife to sign this document saying she wouldn't sue them if I lost my life on this trip. Now this trip has really got my attention. I have never gotten a letter like that before. And so my wife and I had to pray. And as we prayed, my wife said, you know what, hon, just go ahead and go. We'll take out a little more insurance on you. You'll be fine. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. <laughs> but we prayed, and I knew I was supposed to go. And so I went in spite of my fears. And I'll never forget, I flew to Nairobi. And then from Nairobi, now we have a small aircraft that Costa Mesa had, had uh, paid out a large amount of money to fly us into this area. And we're going to be flown in by a mercenary pilot. You know what a mercenary pilot is? Somebody that's absolutely crazy to go where they're going to go. Okay. And so this guy has to know how to avoid, uh, because the North, which was fighting the South, the North was Muslim, the South was Christian, and the North controlled all the borders. And so to get into where we have to go, we have to fly through a certain area, because if we go through the wrong place, our plane will get shot down. And so the pilot knows where to go. I was very thankful for that. And so we are almost there when, uh, uh, in fact, we could see the, the, in the distance the runway that we were going to land on. And the pilot said, oh, no. Now, that's not something you want to hear from your pilot. I said, what? What's wrong? And he goes, look. You see, the, you see the, the clouds in the distance there? And there's lightning. He said, that storm is coming right at us. And that runway, I've been on it before, and it's a mud, it, it'll turn to mud and clay when the rain hits it, and I don't want to get stuck there. And so I'm not going to land. And he was about to turn back, and we argue with him. He said, no, you've got to land. We're almost there. Take us in. And so finally the guy said, okay, I'll give it one shot. And he made one of the fastest landings I've ever made on an airplane and before we got done, we weren't hearing what you normally hear. Welcome to the Sudan International Airport. We know that you have a choice. Thanks for choosing our airline. This guy was screaming at the top of his lungs, get off the airplane. And uh, I tell you, he came to a screeching halt. We literally threw the, the, the bags of medical supplies and my inductive Bible study manuals. And we threw everything off the plane. And we got off. And I'm the last one. And I'm shutting the door. And I said, we'll see you in five days. And you know what he said to me? Maybe. <laughs> it's amazing what one word will do to you. <laughs> you know, I began to think about it, you know. <laughs> this guy could care less about us. And, and we could hear gunfire in the distance. And, and we knew that it was not going to be a safe place to be. And uh, we could have got overrun. In fact, the place had been overrun three times in the last year. And it, it, it was just, um, it was, you know, very scary. And it was amazing how that one word just dwelt in my soul. <laughs> and I remember just being really fearful. And the Lord had to speak to me. 
and say, I didn't bring you here to die. I brought you here to minister. And that freed me to do the ministry that he'd called me to do. But so often it's that fear that grips you and keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. And uh, by the way, uh, that guy never did come back and get us, but uh, there was a woman pilot that came and picked us up uh, on the fifth day, and we were so happy to see her. But I'll never forget taking off and seeing all those Sudanese out there by the runway watching us and waving at us goodbye. And many of them wouldn't live long. And, uh, and you just think, you know, what faces these people. And, and you know, these guys, uh, they, they, we came to minister to them. And, and boy, I, those doctors were just nonstop patients the whole time. We were there. But I want to tell you something. Uh, I'll never forget that fear that wanted to grip me. Keep me from going and doing what God had called me to do. And so often the enemy will do that to us. And we won't obey the Lord because we're afraid. We're afraid of what people think. You know, most of the time people don't think a whole lot about us anyway. So why worry about what they think? You know? But... He, Paul says, God hasn't given you, Timothy, the spirit of fear. What has God given to Timothy? Three things. I want you to see this. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. You understand what God has given us? What Paul is saying, he's given you power, Timothy. It's the same power that resurrected Jesus from, from the dead. Think about that. That's a lot of power, isn't it? And God has not given you this spirit of fear, but he's given you power, Timothy, to do what God's called you to do. You need power because you're not going to be able to do it on your own. We all need God's power in our lives. And so often we try to use our own abilities and our own power. And you can't do anything in your own power. You have to uh, rely upon that power, that dunamis. It's an explosive power that God has given to you and I to do what he's called us to do. We can't allow that power to not go out from our lives. The second thing that Paul says that he's given to us is he's given us love. You and I have been given this love that it's an amazing love. It's the love the agape love that gives you the ability to love people that aren't very lovable. And I'm sure you've got people in your life that aren't very lovable. I do. And it's hard to be around them sometimes. But God gives you a love for them. I'll never forget, I was, I was sitting next to a lady on a, on a flight, and she was talking nonstop. And it was a little difficult to love this woman, you know, to reach out to her. And, and, and you know, and, and it was just all about herself. And everything that was going on with her, she never asked me one question about me. She just poured herself out about all these things. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to be around people like that. 
And, and I, I just remember praying, Lord, help me to love this woman and to reach out to her. And I was able to share just a little bit with her. But, you know, uh, you and I, we have an ability to love the unlovable. And then thirdly, it says, he's given you a sound mind. What's he talking about? Well, uh, a sound mind only comes from knowing this book. And we live in a world that has no soundness in us. We're being led by leaders in our country that have no soundness in them because they're not into the word. And when you and I get into the word, it gives us a sound mind. And we need that so much today because we see such a crazy world out there and so much hatred and, and so much strife and, and you know all the politics and all the garbage that's going on out there. And you and I, we need soundness. And so we need to be people of the word. And so Paul tells Timothy, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but he's given you power, love, and a sound mind. So we know Timothy had a problem with fear. And it's interesting if you go back into 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4, uh, just turn back there one one page. Most of your Bibles will have you back. Chapter 4, verse 12. You'll see a second problem Timothy had. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, faith, and in purity. And we see the second problem that Timothy had. Not only was he fearful, but he was re really young. And when you're a young pastor and you got lots of fears and you're trying to pastor a church, it's not a good thing. But then look, there's one other serious problem that Timothy had. In chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, verse 23, it says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake, for your frequent infirmities. And so we see that Timothy was sick a lot. And I want to tell you, those are three bad qualities for a pastor. And they're three bad qualities for anybody. To be young, to, to uh, be fearful, and to be sick a lot. Think about that. And in spite of Timothy's weaknesses, God used him in a powerful way. You know what? You and I have no excuses. If God can use somebody like Timothy and all the problems that he had, he can certainly use you. And there's not one of us sitting here and say, but you know, my problem is a little bit worse than that. And you see, you and I, God wants to use you. That's why you're here. And that's why he raised up Timothy. And Paul is wanting Timothy to understand you can't let your youth be an excuse. Or you can't let your age, in other words, be an excuse. You say, well, I'm too old. No, you're not. Nobody's too old. As long as you're alive, God can use you in some way. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm 77 now. And, and I'm getting near 78. And I want to tell you something. 
my last trip to Vietnam, sitting in economy section and my knees are up against the seat and it's very uncomfortable and my feet are going numb, you know, and, and, and sometimes I go, oh man, this isn't worth it. This is just so difficult, you know, and then I get home and, and my legs are cramping up in the middle of the night, screaming at me, you know, and, and I'm going, oh, but I want to tell you something, it's worth it all. Because I see God working and using me. And if God can use somebody that was a terrible student in school and use him to go around the world and teach people how to study, you know God can use anybody. And I want to encourage you. He's given you the ability to do what you're going to do through his power, not your own, but his. And so if you will trust him and allow him to use you for his purposes and his plans. God wants to move in a powerful way. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we see that we have this promise of life that is in us. And God wants us to share that with other people everywhere we go. In all that we do, in all that we say. I love what uh, John said in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony. God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. And there's a lot of people all around us that don't have that life, and God wants to use us to breathe life into them. And so would you make yourself available to him? Would you allow him to use you for his purpose and his plan? Let's pray. Father, how we thank you this morning for your precious word. How we thank you that it speaks to us, Lord. Your word is so powerful. As we think about this last letter that Paul wrote Timothy, Lord, really this letter is to us, to encourage us and to help us to be the people that you've called us to be. And Lord, it's my prayer. You know everybody watching online. You know everybody sitting in this room. And Lord, you know their hearts. You know those who have rebelled against you and said, I, I, I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm afraid to do that. I don't want to lose my job, whatever. But Lord, would you just give them a new boldness to do what you've called them to do. Help us all to be free to share the hope that lies within us. And so Lord, I just, again, thank you for all that you're doing in this fellowship. And I pray that you would just strengthen uh, this fellowship, to strengthen the church. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Randy and and Lord, we, you know the circumstances that he's in right now and the difficulty that's facing him and his family. And Lord, we thank you that you're greater than all those things. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen uh, Pastor Randy and, and we thank you for what you're doing in and through his life. And Lord, we just uh, pray that you would <coughs> just draw this church closer together than ever before and that you would use them mightily in these last days. Lord, we know you're coming soon. And so we give you thanks. We give you praise. 
in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen.